And welcome once again, my friends, to the next episode here, the Red Delta Project podcast and live feed Q&A, helping you to simplify fitness, to break free of the diet and exercise rat race through a fundamental approach to fitness. My name is Matt Schifferly, as always, and today's episode is sponsored by the brand new bundle that I just created over on the Red Delta Project PDF store. This is four texts that answer the question of, Matt, if I was just getting started with your methods of grind style calisthenics and isometrics and how to build muscle with all those methods, where should I start? What books would you first recommend? And the answer is I wouldn't recommend any one singular text. Instead, I would recommend this bundle that I created for you that gives you a much more comprehensive view of where you should start, the things you have to know if you want to build muscle with calisthenics. So that's why I included Progressive and Calisthenics, the Bible for building muscle with progressive calisthenics, with weighted calisthenics, the things you need to know about that. Overcoming isometrics, because a lot of times, especially when people are starting their strength training journey, or if they're starting with calisthenics in general, neuromuscular proficiency is a very big handicap that holds them back, especially the older you get, the more imbalances you have. And isometrics is a great way to shore those up very quickly. I also included Be Fit Live Free, my latest book here, because basically if you want to know anything about fitness, how to actually get in shape, everything from fat loss to improving your golf swing, this is the stuff you need to know full flat out. Otherwise, everything you do is just going to kind of be a random guess in the dark. And then I also included my adaptive training log, aka the previous scoreboard progression log, because you don't want to trust your success to your memory. You don't want to just cross your fingers and hope everything just kind of falls into place. So that new training bundle link is down below. It's now priced at a lower price point than if you bought all of those things together or, or excuse me, separately. So it saves you some money, saves you some time, and gets you uh, basically fast-tracked onto the things you should know if you're just starting out with my methods or even if you just want to save some money on those books in particular. So today's topic, we are facing down, we're exercising the demons that plague so many people when they are in fitness. And this happens to everybody. It happens to beginners, intermediates, advanced. I've seen people with decades of experience under their belt, and they still succumb and fall to these inner demons because ultimately these things are a big handicap to how we feel about what we're trying to do, how you feel about your body, how you feel about your training, how you feel about your potential. And yes, I'm not trying to trivialize the logic science side of fitness. That's extremely important. You do need that. But at the end of the day, we humans are fundamentally emotional creatures. Your success, your actions, your ability to get to what you want will be based upon the foundation of how you feel about what you're doing. I say this all the time. I don't care what you know about nutrition and fat loss and stuff. How you feel when Mary from accounting brings in that box of donuts, how you feel about those donuts is the thing that will be a much more determining factor on whether or not you're going to be eating donuts all morning rather than what you, you know, learned in nutrition school and stuff. So this is why we have to face down these demons because we're all going to face them. We're all going to come across them if you haven't already. And they will crop up time and time and time again. We can banish them to hell a hundred million times and they're still going to crop up. Happens to the best of us. But when we understand how to deal with them as effectively and efficiently as possible, we can 
essentially get over them a lot faster and get back to making much faster progress. I'll also be answering all of your questions and stuff as always. So it's uh, good to see everybody. Uh, Zaid is good. Adnan is good to see here as well. Akmar, good to see you folks. Thanks for coming on in. So our first inner demon that we are exercising today here in the halls of fitness is boredom. Boredom is a big problem and it's getting even bigger in our fitness culture because these days our attention span is getting shorter and shorter and we are always looking after that, that quick fix. We're, we're getting more dependent upon those quick dopamine hits. And a lot of times when we get into fitness, we kind of find these dopamine hits, especially initially when everything is bright and shiny and new and, oh boy, look at all this new equipment I have. And oh, this exercise feels so new and alive and I'm so excited about my potential and stuff. But the fact of the matter is that hopefully you're going to have a fairly long training career with decades of experience, which I sincerely hope for you. And it's kind of like anything else in life. It's like the job that you have or a good relationship that you have, right? We all have this little initial honeymoon period where everything is really cool and exciting and fun, but eventually things kind of go into this monotony, a doldrums kind of thing. And then we are like, oh my gosh, this is starting to get old. It's starting to not feel as fun and exciting. So then we you know, dump our partner and we look for another partner or we look for another job or we look for a new workout program and stuff. And we basically end up just chasing after the way to keep this all fun and exciting all the time. And that's not the way to be successful at anything in life because the true success we're looking for is to not have breadth so much in a lot of different things, but depth to really get to know what we are interacting with, be it the job, the partner, the relationships, uh, or even the, um, you know, the, the workouts that we're doing, the exercises that we're doing. That's where the real value is. But boredom will kill that dead as a doornail real fast because we're essentially just feel like we're doing a monotonous chore. So how do you deal with boredom? How do we prevent this from happening? Well, the sad reality is that most people just stay beginners when it comes to fitness, uh, with their exercises in particular, is they'll learn enough to be able to do the exercise, but they don't go much beyond that. So they'll may maybe say, oh, now I've got my muscle up. Now I've got my pistol squat. Oh, now I can you know, learn, uh, I know my clean and jerk and whatever. And we think that's the peak of the mountain. That, oh, I, wouldn't my body be amazing and my fitness be amazing if I could do muscle ups? But then we get there and we find it's really not that impressive. I'm not that jacked. I didn't get that much stronger and stuff. And then we're just stuck doing reps and reps and reps. And it was like, okay, now this is getting boring. And then we go chasing after that next hit. So the answer is recognizing that the real success doesn't come from doing things or being able to achieve that muscle up or the one arm push up or whatever. It's to be able to do things to an obscenely high level of proficiency. And this happens all the time in the gym where someone will have a really impressive physique or really amazing strength and stuff. And you watch what they're doing in their workout. And honestly, they're not doing anything different from anybody else. They're doing the same exercises. They're oftentimes doing the same program. There's really not that much difference. So some people will come to me and like, 
dude, that guy's got massive shoulders. How come I don't have shoulders? I'm doing the same thing. And like, yeah, he's doing overhead presses as are you, but are you doing them that well? Are you doing them to that level? And of course they might even say, well, I didn't know there was really a difference, but the answer is yes, of course there's a big difference. And that's where not only are your best results going to come from, but that's how you stave off boredom is to always go into your workouts in the gym and the exercise saying, how am I going to do this exercise better? It's not good enough to just be able to do it, but how do you do it better to a higher level? And you want to go beyond sets and reps and weight because you ask most people, what does better mean? Well, just more reps. If I'm better at pushups, I just do more reps. Or if I'm better at this exercise, I can lift more weight. That's not, that's just the end of it right there. The real proficiency that comes from it is the skillful use of your body. How well do you use your muscles? When you're doing your pull-ups, do you understand how to include scapular protraction, retraction, elevation, depression, and internal and external rotation all at the same time while doing your pull-ups? A lot of people may just be like, uh, what now? You know? Or there may be a difference in body position or something. Basically, you're trying to do the exercise as well as possible. A big one that I've worked with a couple of clients with lately is you're doing your pull-ups, but your legs are kicking out so far in front of you. Now, of course, something's got to go in front of you because your hands are, or your body's coming behind your hands when you do a pull-up. But ultimately, uh, if your legs are kicking out too far, that means your back's not really working all that hard. It's not engaging very well. So that's something that you can work on. So the way to really beat the demon of boredom is to always go into your work and saying, what am I working on to do this better? Not just can, how many pull-ups can I do? Not just how hard can I push myself? Not just how many calories can I burn on a treadmill? How do you do the thing better? And of course, that's where coaches come into play. That's where workout logs come into play. You should be writing down, what am I going to try to improve upon? But when your mind is focused on trying to improve something, that will keep you mentally engaged with what you're doing, even if you're doing the same exercise, the same workout for months, even years on end. I know people who literally have done the same workout for the past five years. They're not changing anything up. And they're amazing physiques. They see no need to change it because they keep trying to do the thing better. So proficiency is what we're after here. Not just how many sets and reps can you do or can you do a muscle up? But how do you do it technically better, which largely boils down to how well can you use your muscles? And when you have that attitude going into it, not only are your workouts safer, they're a hell of a lot more satisfying and enjoyable, they're a lot more effective, but they're also more mentally and emotionally engaging. And that's going to basically keep that demon of boredom and banish it to the hell from which it came from once and for all. <laughs> ben Ben's got the emoji here. Donuts equal equal demons. <laughs> mm, forbidden donut. I got to find that Simpsons episode. I always reference that and I've never seen it before. Tony Briscoe, it's good to see you, my friend. Oh, man. How have you been? How have you been? Hope you're doing good. Hey, Matt, I'm getting my car repaired on Monday. See you soon at the beginning of the month. Appreciate your help. Absolutely. I just came across your workout log in my files the other day and I was like, man, what? What's up with Tony? I got to give him a call. Yeah, love to hear from you, man. Love to see you. Hope the weighted dips and pull-ups are coming along great. Zaid is saying, hey, Matt, my pull workout currently had five sets of 10 pull-ups with rows later. With the strictest technique, I struggled to get the 50, 
but get 49 to 47? Is it worth approaching 50 or progressing regardless? Um, so no, remember that you always have a diminishing rate of return there as I, so is it really going to make that much difference to get those last few repetitions? Like on that last set, you're getting like eight, seven repetitions or so. Will it really matter that much? Nah, not really. I mean, do it for the sake of saying you could do it. If you've got an emotional investment into being able to say you, you did it, kind of like just something to check off a bucket list or something. But yeah, it's, it's not going to really matter. And if you're really investing a lot and you're really pushing your body, maybe straining the joint, you're feeling exhausted afterwards, yeah, I would question whether or not it's worth it. If I were you, I would go with uh, two sets of the 10 pull-ups and then maybe explore some other pull-up techniques that are progressive in nature or uh, having a little bit more resistance to it. Commando pull-ups, explosive pull-ups, uh, slow pull-ups. Change it up a little bit. Because remember, we can have a good amount of volume, which you do, but when we have that much volume of the exact same thing, personally, I think it's more effective to have just as much volume or maybe even a little less, but change it up a little bit more. So you got five sets now, have five different pull-up variations that you're doing. That's going to create a much more variety of a stimulus. So that second or that last set that you're doing is still creating more of a stimulus for some sort of a change rather than more of the same old thing. Because the more you do of the same technique, the more you're creating higher levels of stress in the body for to basically reinforce maybe a stimulus roughly that you got in the first several sets. So I'd change it up a little bit if I were you, but yeah, I don't think it's worth it. Cristobal coming on. Hey Matt, what's your opinion on carnivore diets? Good for health. I don't think any diet's good for health. Unless you need to restrict a type of food for medical reasons, like if you're honestly really are gluten intolerant or lactose intolerant, or you have a peanut allergy or something, then yeah, definitely restrict those foods. But I sure as hell would not call a diet healthy because you don't eat those foods. If I was gluten intolerant and I got rid of gluten, is my diet healthy? No, <laughs> no way to know. Because all I did was I removed something bad. A good diet isn't one that restricts you. It's one that feeds you. It's one that satisfies your appetites, as I've talked about in several of my books, including this one. But most diets in our culture are all about eat this food, don't eat the other foods and stuff. That's a terrible way to eat for health. That's completely bass backwards. Because whenever you approach food of those foods are bad for me, I don't eat them, you're completely in science fiction world. That's not how good food nutrition works. And whenever we're approaching a dietary approach on restriction, that's largely for most cases completely unnecessary, you're basically, well, let, let me put it this way. It's like you go into the gym and you're like, I've got a squat workout. I got a hard leg workout. I'm like, Great. Awesome. Let me take this baseball bat and smash your shins with it. That's what a diet does. It does you no good. It only sets you back and it's almost completely unnecessary of any kind. I don't care what the diet is. Now, again, if you're doing it for reasons other than health, I, vegans are out there. I, the environment don't want to eat animals. Great. Good. But don't come telling me that you're doing it for health because it's not any type of dietary approach based on restriction is just unnecessary difficulty in actually making the diet healthy. It's completely unnecessary. It's a pain in the ass. It's going to restrict your abilities to do it. Basically, it's like, unless you've got a real desire or need for it, 
Stay away from any of that stuff. It's not going to help you. You're going to be far better off because I'll tell you, the, the vast majority of people I've ever known who are healthy and lean and fit, none of them ever follow diets. I used to work out at a gym. We had over 30 coaches and trainers on staff at any given time, 30 of us. And if someone was like, you, what about this diet? What about that diet? None of us followed anything. None of us, because we know how this stuff actually works. I know it's harsh to say, but I'd say it all the time. Diets are for people who don't know how to eat right. You know, they're not a good idea. They're not the way to go about it. It's going to hold, and the more restrictive it is, the worse it is. Now, can you eat primarily like animal foods and stuff like that? I mean, who the hell knows? But, you know, I mean, I just had steak for lunch here. I like it, but I also had pasta and veggies and polished off uh, the last of a pint of Ben and Jerry's afterwards, you know, that's going to be a hell of a lot healthier than if I just ate the steak because it's more variety. It's satisfying me better. Cristobal saying, hey, Matt, if you can only pick five exercises to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. And this is a good one, actually, Cristobal, because for the most part with people in their training programs, when you really have your training dialed in to what you want and what is best for you and stuff, you're probably going to focus most of your strength training on five or six exercises anyway. Most of the folks I've known in my travels, two decades of working in gyms and stuff, who have got some pretty good success or have got a really good physique and stuff, you ask them what they do. It's like, well, it pretty much boils down to, I just do these things here. And it's almost always some sort of basic compound push-pull squat. So whatever you do for that, you know, push-ups, rows or pull-ups, lunges, squat chain variety kind of thing. Uh, some sort of an extension technique, swings, deadlifts, bridges, uh, cleans, hip extensions, that sort of thing. Um, uh, what are we up to? We got four. So right there, that's going to cover like 90% of everything you would need from a strength training perspective. So let's get a little more broader here. Let's get something of a little bit more athletic nature to it. So let's say some sort of sprinting. Okay. I'm a mountain biker. Mountain biking is inherently sprinting because of the change in terrain, but you can have something like sled pushes. You can have just simply sprinting across a park or something. And uh, let's have something that's a little bit more of the uh, you know, mobility persuasion kind of thing. So I would, I would pick personally like a tiger's crawl uh, movement or uh, monster crawl. I've heard it called sometimes. Uh, I've got a couple of videos on it and stuff, but that's a good way to just kind of stretch the whole body out. I, that's what I would include. That's a pretty good holistic approach to everything uh, there. So moving on, we've got our first demon slain, exercise to the bowels of hell of boredom. So we want to make sure that we're always working on improving something in our ability to do things. And that helps with that. Second demon is frustration. Frustration and discouragement that I'm not getting what I want out of this, or it's not coming fast enough, or I'm working really hard and it just doesn't seem to be moving the needle. So first and foremost with this one is like a lot of these setbacks and demons that we face, it's really important to recognize that this is going to be a part of your training to some degree. Everybody faces this. We get frustrated when we feel like we're not getting enough out of our training or that we're not moving the needle quite as quickly. Like, shouldn't this be working more? Or I just can't seem to get this sort of thing. And so 
We often have this frustration or the disappointment because we think it's supposed to be easier than it is, or it's supposed to come faster than it really might. And we're kind of going off of some sort of an expectation of a timeline for a, for a result that just it's not going to happen. Because when we have these results coming to us, they're going to come on your own time for you. And so people ask me all the time, how long will it take me to achieve this goal? Well, probably between five days and five years. You know, nobody, there is no reliable timeline to achieve anything in fitness. The bigger the result that you're looking for, the longer it's going to take, obviously. But we get frustrated when the seas are no longer smooth sailing for us. And when that happens, we get frustrated, we get maybe some disappointment. And I used to be somewhat of a, you know, a, a, a soothsayer. You know, I used to be with someone who was like, oh, don't be frustrated, just stay on the course kind of thing. But the fact is that a lot of times the frustration can be a very good thing. When we have a negative reaction to things, sometimes that pain can motivate us to be like, all right, if this isn't enough, maybe I need to really step up my game. Maybe instead of doing pull-ups once a week or whenever I feel like it, maybe I should make pull-ups the staple of every single workout I do. Maybe if I'm frustrated with my lack of result as far as losing weight, maybe I need to tighten up my diet more than I think is adequate. It, sometimes it can be a very good thing to be frustrated, to be kind of at the end of our rope and feel like, I'm sick and tired of this. Now, in an ideal world, you're going to be more motivated with a positive thing like, oh, that's really cool. I want that. But it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to get motivated not to go to a better place, but to get out of the place that we're at. And frustration can certainly be a good way to do that. So you want to be real with yourself. Look at what you honestly are doing. A lot of times when people are frustrated with what they're doing, I look at, well, where's the instability? Nine times out of 10, that usually means that they're having some very inconsistencies with their training. Like, okay, well, my records show that, you know, you've only worked out, or at least with me, you know, being a coach, you've only worked out with me three times in the past six weeks. How do you expect to be making much progress with that? And it's like, obviously you can't. So it feels like you're doing more than you really are. Or it could be something like, all right, well, you know, your diet's on point. Monday through Friday, but on the weekends, you're completely off the rails. So the frustration can point us in a direction we need to go, but only if you're willing to kind of sit in it, because unfortunately, a lot of times we'll get frustrated and think to hell with this, this isn't paying off. And then you'll abandon the entire thing altogether. And that's when things go from bad to worse, because you're taking something that is producing some result and some benefit. It's just not quite enough. And you're going from making slow and inching forward progress to nothing whatsoever. And that's when things go really bad. So I'm just telling you, stay the course and use that frustration to dive into, are you honestly doing what it takes? Are you honestly really making what happen, needs to happen happen? And usually when we're honest with ourselves, it's like, no, you know, I'm not really, you know, that consistent with that exercise or I haven't really done it that much. And, you know, okay, my leg development's not that great because I'll do my whole workout and then I'll just do some quick lunges and be like, okay, that's good enough. So be honest with yourself. It can be a little bit of a come to Jesus moment for you. But if you are strong enough to sit in that frustration, to sit in that discouragement and feed on it, 
and let it just seep into your bones, you can use it as a powerful thing rather than running away from it. Let's get to some more questions here. Philip is saying, hey, Matt, I usually get bored. Oh, here we go again. And still have the problem of program hopping. But since I apply your concept of adaptation in micro workouts, I left the FOMO behind me. Oh, fantastic. Very good. So th that's one of the things that you can do. I was talking about this. What was I with a, a friend of mine uh, earlier today? And we were talking about how in our fitness culture, there's a lot of you know, FOMO, there's a lot of paralysis by analysis. It's like, this guy says you should do it this way. This other guy says you should do it that way. The fact of the matter is you can train and eat and stuff in a wide variety of ways. And they're all going to do the same thing because ultimately your success doesn't come down to the superficial details. Like, should I do these many sets or these many sets? Should I do split training or full body training? Should I lift free weights or calisthenics, or machines and stuff. Honestly, that stuff, it's really not that important. It really isn't. You know, the example I came across the other day is this guy was asking, it's like, what's nine plus one? It's like, 10, what's five plus five? 10, what's 20 divided by two? 10, you know, what's 14 minus four plus, you know, uh, or minus five plus one? It's like 10, it's like, right. There's all these different ways we can get to 10. And yet there are people out there trying to persuade you saying, my way is the way. My way is the best way. My way is the only way. That's not how this stuff works. I was just on my soapbox about diet, right? People are like, oh, this diet's awesome. This diet's great and stuff. No diet is great and awesome because your ability to take care of your health and be lean does not come from your diet. It doesn't depend on what you eat. It depends on how well you're satisfying the fundamental principles of how fitness actually works. And if you understand how that is, you can eat whatever the hell you want. You can do whatever workouts you like. So if you're someone, you know, my, like my man, Philip over here, who's changing his program around a lot. Of, and I know a lot of people, myself included, used to say, don't change your program so much. Oh my gosh, program hopping is terrible. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. As long as you're still achieving the same fundamental stimulus. And a lot of times that will happen as long as you're not doing something completely crazy and off the rails, then you're still probably in the ballpark of the same thing. I know back in the day, you know, my uh, CrossFit days when, you know, they were all like, you know, routine is the enemy and variety and everything and stuff. But the fact is, you look at most of the workouts we were doing in that box and it's like, it's all the same thing on a fundamental level. It's, you know, Metcons and Olympic lifting is largely all the same movement pattern. It's like, oh no, this is a clean versus a snatch. It's like, it's the same explosive extension chain movement. Yeah, it's a little bit different here and there, but every workout we were doing the same basic fundamental stuff, which is why it can work. And when you're not going after those fundamental objectives on a regular basis, that's when you get screwed. But you can, yeah, change your workout a hundred million ways from here till Sunday, every single time you work out. As long as you're still contracting the muscles hard to create a lot of tension, you're going to get stronger because you're still doing the same fundamental stimulus. If you're still getting the heart rate up and pushing your muscular work capacity, you're still going to be working that cardio system. It doesn't matter if you're running or going up a hill or doing burpees or sled pushes or whatever. 
it's still the same thing. So change up as much as you like there, Philip. Just understand what your fundamental uh, uh, objectives are and make sure you're hitting that on a consistent basis. But yeah, you can change things a hundred ways and still have that happen. Perfectly fine. Get to some more questions here before we hit demon number three. Froton, it's good to see you. Hey, Matt, loved and tried your effective sit-ups, but suddenly it feels too easy. And even after holding six kilos, I keep dishing out reps and don't feel sore. Do you know what could be going on, going wrong? <laughs> yeah, something terrible has happened here, Froton. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but uh, you've gotten stronger, man. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It just, it sucks when you've got an effective exercise like that and you put in the work and stuff, you've gotten stronger. Uh, I, I know it sucks, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what the unfortunate side effect of things. But that's exactly what happened. So remember that, especially with progressive calisthenics, there are exercises we'll do. And if you get stronger, now that exercise just gets downgraded into more of an easier style. You use it as a warm-up, you use it as a finisher, you use it for something like on an off day or deload or whatever, that sort of thing. That's all you've done, man. You've gotten stronger. So level up to a harder technique, you know, level up to something more effective. That's one of the things that sit-ups kind of have about them is sometimes they're hard to progress. Now, check out Jana sit-ups, J-A-N-D-A. Those can be very, very hard where you're really bending uh, your knees, digging your heels in. And the more you push your heels into the floor, the harder it's going to be. Another variation, if you really like sit-ups, that's good, is uh, have a set of rings or suspension straps about you know five, six inches off the floor and sit between the rings. So the rings are kind of on mid-thigh, if you will, with your legs straight out and push your arms or your hands straight down into the handles with your arms straight and keep that pressure on while you do your sit-ups. That gets real hard, real fast, because you're applying all of that uh, ex extra resistance into your flexion chain while you're doing your sit-ups. Chris Crash is saying, how to start calisthenics? I already do three sets of 20 push-ups, seven pull-ups. Yes, I will refer again to the bundle that I have down below that I just uh, assembled on the RDP uh, uh, website. <laughs> Point blanking there. But remember, my friends, if you want to build muscle and strength calisthenics, this is where you start. Progressive weighted calisthenics. These are the principles of adding resistance to calisthenics. This is what most people miss when they're trying to build muscle and strength with calisthenics. If you came to me and said, Matt, I need to build muscle and strength with calisthenics, I'd just hand you that book and say, you need to know this first and foremost. Don't even come to me with your program unless you know those principles because that is essential. It's kind of like going into a gym and saying, all you've got here is a selection of 20 pound dumbbells and that's it. And they're like, yeah, 20 pound dumbbells. That's what we offer you. It's like, uh, no. And that's how most people approach calisthenics is exactly that type of approach. They just keep doing more reps of the same resistance. Got to change those resistances up. You also need uh, to ensure you have a good balanced program. What are you doing for your uh, extension chain. What are you doing for your glutes and hamstrings? What are you doing for your legs? What are you doing for everything else as well there, Chris Crash? Uh, hit me up, DM on the Instagrams if you have further questions on that. Ben Ben is saying, hey, Matt, do you include straight arm strength exercises, push and pull in your routine? Not really. I mean, my arms are straight when I'm hanging from a bar. My arms are straight when I'm at the bottom of a pull-up or at the top of a push-up. So, yeah, there's there's that. I I never quite understood the whole straight arm strength thing in the calisthenics world. 
Uh, I do front levers every once in a while, and that's literally like, hey, I wonder if I could do a front lever. Oh, yeah, that's getting stronger. Okay, great. You know, it's not something I do. I'm not a skills guy. You'll never really see me working on a plant or anything. I've always taken calisthenics in the direction of what would you do on a weight machine and how do you do the exact same thing on bodyweight training? What would you do with free weights? You know, if you took a, I used to do this. I used to take magazines back in the day. I know I'm dating myself. I'm an old geezer, almost 46 in two weeks. But I would take bodybuilding magazines and be like, okay, what are these bodybuilders doing in the gym? Now, how do I exactly replicate their workout with bodyweight training? You know, a lot of suspension work, you know, maybe some weighted stuff here and there. But how do I do what they're doing with bodyweight stuff? That's, that's the approach I always do. And you're never going to really find a bodybuilder going like, okay, I'm holding these dumbbells here and I'm trying to hold them as much. No, it, it's just not in the wheelhouse. Okay, so we addressed the first two demons, boredom, frustration. Number three, this is a big one. This is one we all struggle with, especially when we're beginning and we're starting off. But it can certainly affect those who have a lot of experience as well, which is just basically a lack of confidence in what we're doing self-doubt. It's natural and normal to be doing things and that little demon pops up on your shoulder and they're like, you don't really think this is going to work, do you? You don't really think you can build the muscle. You don't really think this program is going to be effective. You don't really think, and it doubt, 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 doubt. And I think it was C.T. Fletcher who said something of the effect of a single drop of self-doubt can poison an entire well of faith or something to that degree. And it's true. And I have never, in my own experience, had any real progress whenever I'm in these phases of self-doubt. It happens to ever, the best of us. We all have these you know, periods where you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I've got the, what it takes. And you know, look how hard it is for me to do this. I've got plenty, just as much reason for as anybody to have self-doubt about what I'm doing. But it's always going to hold you back because we can't build positive results when we're coming from a negative place. Physically, mentally, emotionally, we just can't beat ourselves into a higher level of achievement. We get there by having that confidence that, oh man, this is going to be so cool when I'm able to do this and when I get this result and all these sorts of things. So how can we deal with lack of confidence? Well, one is know that self-doubt is perfectly normal and fine. It happens to the best of us. I don't understand these people who are like, never had a, a, a moment of doubt in my life, you know, building these multi-million dollar companies or winning the gold medal. Never doubted myself for a second. One, I called bullshit. And two, of course, you're going to have self-doubt. You get an injury and you're like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to come back from this one. You know, there's always going to be those moments of self-doubt. The key is to move past them, not to let it get stuck in the mud. And a couple of good ways to do this is, one, you just keep taking action. Two, again, take some self-assessment and see like, okay, uh, what can I do better? Because nothing kills self-doubt, like improving something. Like, oh, yeah, here's an area where I can make some improvement on. And then you move the needle a little bit. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And all that self-doubt is just gone because you've just proven to yourself that you can keep moving forward. Another thing is sometimes we have a lack of confidence in what we're doing, the method that we're using. It's like, oh, I just don't have a lot of confidence that I can build my chest up with push-ups or whatever. And to that, I say, well, one, 
why would you force yourself into any particular method if you don't have to? So it's like, well, what would you have confidence in? Well, go do that instead. But the other thing that helps sometimes is just kind of sit down and be like, well, why can it work? Instead of doubting it, start writing out on a piece of paper or just simply you know, kind of meditating on the fact of in, instead of thinking, why wouldn't it work? Start thinking, why would it work? How can it work? Well, why would like, obviously, if I'm trying to burn lots of calories and I'm riding my bike a lot, well, why wouldn't that work? Of course, it's going to work. It burns a lot of calories to burn to ride a bike. So you kind of flip the script a little bit instead of thinking, I don't think I can do it to reasons why you can do it. And sometimes that can expose, again, a little bit of, well, I don't think I'll be able to do it because I'm not doing X, Y, or Z. Okay, well, then get on being able to do those sorts of things. But self-doubt, self-confidence, it happens all the time. And again, with uh, social media these days, everybody's out there going like, oh, you're going to kill your gains unless you're eating this food and unless you're doing it this particular way. Remember, there's no one particular way to build muscle or lose fat or get stronger or anything. You only need to achieve those basic fundamental objectives, which are not specific to any particular method. But those fundamentalists, which is different than a fundamental approach, will tell you this is the one true way, which is complete nonsense. That's nothing more than science fiction. Zaid is coming back on saying, Matt, with dip bars, I can progress range of motion, but seeing progressive calisthenics book, bringing everything narrower is better. Yes. Wonder, is there a way to bring the bars together while increasing range of motion? To a degree, yes, you're on the right track there, Zaid, although it's going to be hard and a little bit tricky. So one of the things about dips that I'm always coaching people on that's very difficult is it's not so much the hands, but the back and the, and the arms. You know, take a video of yourself from your front or your back because a lot of times people, they're doing dips like this and I'll be like, okay, get your arms in closer or whatnot. And they're on rings or something. And they're like, yeah, that's close. I'm like, dude, you've got way more that you can do. So a lot of it is that scapular adduction with your entire back. If you can do dips with your arms basically rubbing against your sides, your ribs, that's pretty darn narrow. And that's really, really hard to do. And most people don't do it. So that's why I always say, take a video of yourself. Because we often think we're as narrow as we can get, and we usually have a good five or six inches on each side that we can still get narrower on. The other thing I always recommend too is do it on a non-supported surface like rings or straps, because that's going to make your dips a heck of a lot harder. But you can now have the freedom to move your hands in and make sure that things are really tight uh, versus bars may be much more restrictive for you. So those are ways I usually recommend people advance the technique of the dips, range of motion and stuff. Uh, but yeah, eventually it's dips are one of those things that uh, most people will eventually probably use additional weight for uh, if they want to get heavier on the dips. Baldigo, it's good to see you. So will farmer walks with 250, 256 pounds weight make me shrink in height? Probably not. I mean... You know, we're all compressing our spine and compressing ourselves due to the atmospheric pressure of the planet 24-7, or, well, basically when we're standing, right? So if you ever have this experience where you get up first thing in the morning, you get right in your car and you got to adjust your rearview mirror, that's because you're taller in the morning by maybe an inch or so because your spine decompressed while you were laying horizontal. And then just over the day, we compress 
down. That's natural. It, it happens just by standing, by being upright. Having that load on your body, it's probably not going, it's too short of, of a time period. Just make sure that you're having good posture when you're doing it. And usually a compression in height is more due to poor posture than any sort of actual compression of the body uh, itself, like the discs and so forth. But yeah, I mean, 256, it's not anything to sneeze at when you're carrying that kind of weight, but I wouldn't say it. I mean, would you think that about having 256 on your back when you, if you're squatting that much? It's not usually much of a threat. I wouldn't worry about it. Christopher saying, hey, Matt, do you think a handle uh, 20 to 25% body fat is something you should care about, uh, considering that you already train hard and have a decent amount of muscle mass? That's, yeah, I mean, it's a bit up there. Um, I'm not, you know, one of these people who's like, oh, you got to have abs, you got to have your body fat as low as possible in order to be healthy or anything. Uh, the idea of you have some body fat, you're a little bit on the the softer side of things, maybe you've got a bit of a, a beer gut. If the health markers are still good, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. What's a bigger indicator, you know, people look at body fat percentage, people look at weight and stuff. I'm much more of a fan of look at your habits though. Look at your daily habits. What foods are you eating? How much are you eating? How much are you drinking alcohol? Do you work out like crazy for an hour, but then you're sitting for the entire rest of the day? So you're averaging like three hours of physical activity a week kind of stuff. Look more to your habits for concern. And as always, just get, you know, go to your doctor. Go to uh, someone who can evaluate your posture. Go to a chiropractor who can evaluate your back, that sort of thing. I have a great chiropractor out here who literally, he doesn't assess anything without x-rays. And I, I posted this on my Instagram a couple of years ago where he literally took an x-ray of my neck and he's like, that's bad. <laughs> this space here, you shouldn't have that. And then he worked on me and then he took an x-ray, you know, several months later. And he was like, there, space is gone. That's why your back feels better now. So if you're concerned about health, I'm always a big fan of get eyes on the issue. Don't be too much about correlation. Like this is my body fat percentage, but this is what I weigh and stuff like that. Get more hands-on with your health with a professional who can look at things and be like, okay, it's not that this is correlated health. It's literally like, I'm looking here at your hips and they're way out of kilter, which ain't good. <laughs> Let's get your hips fixed. That sort of thing is what you want to be more focused on. But yeah, 20, 25%, I mean, it's certainly on the higher side of things, but uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be too much worrisome. It also kind of depends on where that fat is too. If it's all in the midsection, uh, that may be more indicative of uh, things you need to address. Uh, Cyril saying, hey, Matt, since reading, putting in practice GSC book, my, my muscle uh, has improved dramatically. So thank you very much for that. Congratulations. Uh, what book do you recommend to read after I want to build muscle? So yeah, Grind Style Calisthenics, great place to start. Again, uh, progressive and weighted calisthenics. Or my other favorite, oops, is... Suspension calisthenics. Love my suspension training because that's essentially a weight machine that you put into your pocket. That's all suspension straps are. They are a portable weight machine and they essentially give you the ability to body weight, body build. You know, like I said earlier, I used to take bodybuilding magazines and replicate the workouts set for set, exercise for exercise with 
body weight equivalents. And a lot of times that meant turning to suspension straps. Oh, they're doing dumbbell chest flies. Okay. Suspension chest flies. Oh, now they're doing, you know, upright rows. Okay. I'm doing overhand, overhead raises on the straps. Oh, now, now they're doing hamstring curls on the machine. Okay. Hamstring curls on the suspension straps. So I was able to do that largely because I was using those straps. So, uh, yeah, I take it back actually from the first recommendation, uh, progressive weighted calisthenics, very good, but I would go with the suspension calisthenics next. If I were you, that that's what I would do next. Uh, Christopher saying, hey, have you ever tried sandbag training? Have, absolutely. Used to make my own sandbags. I developed my whole new system and method for making a really great durable sandbag that had a, just the right amount of play into it. I'm pretty sure that was one of those videos that got lost from the old Fit Rebel days. I don't think it's on the YouTube channel anymore. Don't hold me to that. If you search on my YouTube channel, sandbag, you probably will find it. Uh, you'll probably find those. I mean, God, they're old. I mean, I had hair back then. But uh, yeah, love sandbag training. Awesome stuff. There's just something about wrestling the bag, you know, up over your shoulders and bear hugging it and holding it in your arm, Zercher style for lunges and everything. Fantastic way to load up the body. Love it. And there's nothing more satisfying than just letting it drop too afterwards, that thud, as opposed to like, uh, you know, iron weights, like dumbbells and stuff. So I'd say, hey, Matt, with dip bars, I can progress. Oh. Already addressed that. Scoozy, everyone. All right, let's get to the last one here. Last one. This is probably one of the biggest demons that we all face. And it's something that isn't really addressed a whole heck of a lot in our fitness culture. And that is being able to uh, handle the transient body, transient nature of the human body with a degree of confidence and maturity. Because we all get into this fitness space because we want more control over our body to some degree, how it looks or feels and performs. And we seek out ways to give ourselves more of that control. But the fact of the matter is that no one ever has full control over their health and fitness because there's always a lot of variables that we have no control over. We can only influence our health and fitness. We can never have that full control. And as such, because life is very transient and it's always changing in our mental state, our physical state, our emotional state is also changing uh, a lot. It's only natural that our physiological condition and abilities are also going to be in some degree of a transient state, which means sometimes you're just going to be weaker. Sometimes you're just going to be fatter. Sometimes you're just going to be less athletic. Like, oh man, I don't know what is up with me today, but I can't get this technique down. I'm, I'm not feeling so. Yeah, that happens. You know, that's going to happen. The body is going to sometimes change to some degree uh, backwards, going in the way that we don't want it to go in. And that's going to happen. No matter how hard you work at it, no matter how much you dial things in and try to stay very, very strict about your approaches and your routines, you're going to have periods where things take fall back a step. And this can be very detrimental because it can really throw us emotionally off course. And then we're like, oh, I've got to take drastic action. I've got to go to all these extremes and stuff. And usually that does more harm than good. Instead, we want to make peace with these sorts of things. 
maybe this is an age thing, maybe it's a maturity thing, but I've learned to be able to handle these things much more in stride. This past holiday season, I've learned that, yeah, during the holidays, go home and have my mama's cooking and cookies and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to probably be a few percentage points fatter for January and maybe February than I usually am the rest of the year. That's just the way it is. You know, uh, the past year, hell, the past year, I've been dealing with some emotional handicapping issues and stuff. And I was talking with a friend the other day and I was saying, God, I don't know what it is, but just everything just feels so much harder on me these days. Writing feels harder. Making videos feels harder. Uh, being able to work out, everything just feels so much harder. She was like, yeah, because you're dealing with this you know, crap going on in this other area. You've got so much emotional investment in that. You don't have a whole lot left over for the other stuff. So you're just basically getting by with that stuff. And yeah, there's a couple of areas I've fallen back a step or two. And you just, I just were like, yep, that's the way it is. But I also know once I get past this, I'm going to slingshot right back real fast. So understanding that, yeah, the body's always going to change to some degree. There's days you're going to look your best. There's days you're not going to look all that great. There's times you're going to feel your best. There's days you're not going to feel all that great. And this is just the nature of life, the nature of our body. And we just take it in stride because, you know, for every turn, it comes and goes. But sometimes we can get really, really, really in our heads about these changes. A big example is like weight. Some people, oh my goodness, like the scale's up. Oh my God, oh my God, it's up six pounds. And then the next day, oh, it's down, it's down seven pounds and stuff. And they're all over, and their emotional state is basically tied to this number, which is always going to be fluctuating all over the place. It's never going to be stable and level. You know, if it is stable and level, it's a minor miracle. <laughs> so it's always going to be fluctuating. But when we have our emotional state and our feelings of self worth and value, tied to something that's always going to be changing, you are basically you know, a, a ship that's going to be liable to tip over real quick and easy. You have very little stability in that regard. So accepting the transient nature of the body, it's like, yeah, okay, today you're slower. Uh-huh. You know? And this is why adaptive training and eating can be so effective too. It's like, yeah, today you don't have as much. Not a problem. We just get what we can. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Still an effective workout. If we're always telling ourselves, I got to be perfect at 100% all the time, that's a demon that is going to eat you alive from the inside out. And it's probably going to cause you to crash and burn more often than not. Let's get into some more questions here before wrapping up. Michael Blacktree is saying, if you're a regular person just trying to stay fit, you don't need to sweat the details. Just get off the couch. Absolutely. Taking action, my friend. It's We get so caught up in, in the details that, uh, we think the small things matter a lot more, you know, but uh, being able to move, taking some sort of action goes a long, long way. David Baker saying, hey, my hip injury kept me from pistols and hover lunges, uh, did step ups and stuff, and that got cut off there. Sorry, David. There it goes. There's the rest of it. Uh, a couple of months on recovering, didn't lose anything uh, on the hover lunges, not where I was on pistols, but step-ups worked. Yeah, so these are all squat movements. And so as long as you're getting that basic fundamental movement pattern, the squat chain and stuff, you're getting the same basic thing across the board. And yeah, strength is 
specific to an activity. So it's perfectly fine to be like, well, I'm still strong in these, but the pistols are a step behind. That's, that's fine. But it's one of those things that you want to have uh, more awareness of like, what's the basic movement pattern. And then just do whatever exercises you can for that movement pattern. Don't get too caught up, of course, as you did or did not, excuse me, uh, with what kind of exercise you're doing. As long as you're getting that hip to heel action, it's going to get roughly the same sort of thing. Cristobal's got a good question. Matt, what do you think the main reason fitness community is so toxic and dogmatic? Well, it's the same reason we have toxicity and dogmatic approaches to lots of things in life. Uh, religion, politics, a lot of approaches to things like business and relationships that you see on social media and stuff like that is fundamentalism. You know, fundamentalism. So a fundamental approach is not fundamentalism. I know they're very similar in the terms, uh, but they're actually complete polar opposites because a fundamental approach recognizes that if you understand the basic fundamental processes that govern how your body actually works, how fitness actually works, then you just simply understand the basic fundamental principles and you just do whatever the hell you want and that's going to work. Now, fundamentalism doesn't care how things actually work. Fundamentalism doesn't care how society works or the body works or fitness actually works. They care more about their one particular method. Like what is their particular approach? And so whenever you get dogmatic, because of the dogmat, dogmatism, uh, I had this comment come across my desk the other day, because uh, I always refer to like examples of dogmatic approaches in religion. And he's like, well, you know, isn't that a dogmatic perspective? It's like, absolutely. Yeah. Because if I'm always saying dogma is in religion, it, that is dogmatic, but it's just more out of habit that I'm saying that because you can be religious without being dogmatic. Absolutely. You can be dogmatic about how you bake chocolate chip cookies. A dogmatic approach is basically saying this is the one best, correct, true way to do it, which is what fundamentalism is, and everything else is wrong. All the other people are wrong. So you've got a lot of these messages out there of people who either believe it for themselves or are basically trying to fight saying this is the way things need to be. Now, let me give you an example, right? I was just telling you, like, the information in this book is absolutely 100% essential if you want to build muscle with uh, body weight training right? Progressive and progressive calisthenics. Now, do you need to do things this way? Absolutely not. You can uh, approach, you could basically take these principles and create a million different push-up variations and all of them will work because they've got that basic fundamental approach to them. You don't need to do a damn exercise in this book. Of course, you'll probably be, you know, it's basic enough that you'll probably be doing some variation of those sorts of things. But do you need to do it that way? Absolutely not. Nothing here is essential as far as actual methodology and technique. Not a single thing. I mean, if it was, then no one would have ever gotten in shape in the history of human, human beings until I wrote my books, which of course is not the case. So the toxicity comes out when people are like, my way is the best way. You guys are wrong. No, your way is terrible. And it's all this debate and stuff. And it's just like, you guys, stop arguing. The, the key to breaking away from all that is not to look at what works or what's effective, but what's in fact necessary. Everything in my life changed when I stopped asking myself what was effective and what was instead necessary in fitness. And then you just do whatever the hell you want. But freedom is always a threat to those who are uh, fundamentalists in nature. 
People who are very dogmatic, they abhor freedom. They don't want people to do things their own way. Uh, and again, it's in religion, it's in politics, it's in culinary school, right? It's in everything where it's like, this is the way you have to do it. You've got to do it my way. And someone's like, I think I've got a better way of looking at it. And like, nope, you're wrong. You know, oh, you're the sorry sinner. Oh, you're the unworthy. You're the, and that's where the toxicity comes into play. The toxicity comes into play when people want to do their own thing and other people will criticize them for it. You know, so again, I was talking about diets the, uh, uh, earlier in the episode. I wouldn't do a diet if you paid me. I don't think they're healthy. I don't think they're helpful. They're completely unnecessary for the large part, and they're just going to hold you back. But if I met you at a party and you're like, dude, I am loving this paleo diet. It's awesome. I'm not going to criticize you for it. Go, you do you. You do your thing and stuff. The only thing I have against all that sort of thing is when people follow it because they think they have to is when the toxic fundamentalism out there is saying, you'd better be eating this way or else you're going to kill your gains or you're going to be unhealthy and stuff, which is completely not true. That's the stuff I have exception to because I spent so many years doing diet and exercise habits and stuff that basically hurt me and compromised my health and compromised my fitness and hurt my relationships and hurt my quality of life. And the only reason why I did it was because I thought I had to. Because there were fundamentalism ideas out there telling me, you'd better be eating this way. You'd better be training this way. And that's what gets me all oiled up and irked up is when people are like, you'd better be doing it this way. And I'm like, yeah, I know you know well. I know you mean well. And you're trying to look out for other folks, but go piss up a rope. Because once we believe it's absolutely necessary to use a method, we're essentially in a prison of our own making. But it's fine to use the method. Just know that you can leave at any time. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do calisthenics. Well, don't do calisthenics. There's no good reason to if you don't want to do it. And that's why. And that's why. Philip coming back on saying, hey, Matt, I'm always trying to focus on the fundamental principles for building muscle and strength, but I still have problems with uh, progressing torn between technique and higher load. Oh, so it's one and the same, my friend. So do I go with... Uh, like, are you are you talking about progressive technique or like, you know, using advanced push-ups and stuff or just improving technique? So the way to kind of think of this is technique is a progressive variable of, it's actually lots of variables, right? Technique is tension control. Technique is body weight distribution. Technique is range of motion. You know, technique is hand position. Technique is just basically a, a blanket term for lots of different progressive variables, of just how we're moving our body. And then you've got load, you know, it's like the weight plates that I got here from Kintsui and stuff. Ultimately, it's not load or technique, it's just basically contracting our muscles. And we're using technique and or load as a way to further challenge the ability to do that. So fundamentally, improving technique or adding load is doing the same thing. That's why I have well, I was going to write two books on this. I was going to write a book on progressive calisthenics, and I was going to write another one on weighted calisthenics. But I realized it's actually the exact same thing. <laughs> it's nothing different. And the second is it didn't really necessitate an entire book on weighted calisthenics because I covered the basic ideas and principles and stuff in the progressive calisthenics side 
So all I needed to do was write one more chapter on weighted calisthenics, and I covered both bases. I didn't need two books to do that. So this is essentially like two books in one, in other words, because they're ultimately fundamentally doing the same thing, which is just applying more resistance to the muscle. That's it. That's all you're doing. And that's why in the book I cover, like, it's not the load that makes you stronger. It's not the weight. It's just the fact that you're making your muscles work harder. If the muscle's contracting harder, that's what strength training is, regardless of why it's contracting harder. If you're doing it with weight, if you're doing it with advanced technique, great. So a lot of times, progressive variables mix and match. You could do a weighted pull-up, for example, but you're like, but I can't get my chest all the way to the bar. I'm only getting a shorter range of motion. So you kind of regressed one area to progress in another. So you kind of just doing the same thing. You're fundamentally, you're just in the same position. You just regressed in one area, progressed in the other. So load and technique are basically doing the same thing. Let's see what else we got here. A lot of conversations back and forth. Let's get to some more ones here real quick. Alex A saying, hey Matt, 36 year old male, never done martial arts, want to start. Good, I recommend it. Which type would you recommend? Personal preference, dude. So there's a lot of variety out there. There's a lot of ways to go about it. Uh, usually it comes kind of down to, are you more of the wrestling variations? Like, you know, maybe actual wrestling. If you're, well, you said you're 36, but I was going to say if you're in school, maybe you could take up wrestling uh, or jujitsu, judo, that sort of thing. That was never quite my speed. I just always had a hard time up and down and up and down and getting thrown down and standing back up. Uh, I was always a striker being in Taekwondo, of course. So I was always much more into the striking sorts of things. And then a lot of times it's about, uh, you know, style and superficial details. Like, you know, if I'm out, you know, Parker, you know, I'm doing my Taekwondo a little bit. I've got a little routine I do on a daily basis. People are like, is that karate? Sure. Yeah, it's karate. <laughs> Thanks. You know, technically it's Taekwondo. Technically it's ITF style, USTF Taekwondo. Does it really matter? No, it's a stupid sidekick. You know, it always drove me crazy, the politics and, you know, what types of organizations and styles of martial arts. You make a fist, you stick it out. That's a punch, you know, kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, it kind of go with what resonates with you. It's probably going to boil down more to the school you find in your area, though. You know, you could go to a judo school and be like, I don't know, I just didn't resonate with the place. Everybody seemed to have an ego and a chip on their shoulder and stuff. And then you could go and take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you're like, dude, I walked in there. I felt like it was family. Or you could walk into a, a Kung Fu place, Kung Fu, and be like, oh, man, everybody there was so friendly and I love how my body moves and stuff. That's what you want to base it off of, that sort of thing. But yeah, definitely get into it. I'm, I'm always advocating for martial arts uh, training. Everyone should know at least how to throw a punch and, and a kick to some degree. It doesn't take that long to learn. Um, I think, is it Ido Portal? You know, the uh, natural movement schools and stuff. Uh, I think they're in the Philippines. I could be wrong. Boy, it's been a long time since I've come across their page. But I believe they make martial arts part of their actual curriculum. You know, they've got swimming They've got push-ups and pull-ups and all that stuff. And I think they make fighting part of their curriculum because it's like, you should know how to throw a punch. You know, if someone's coming at you, you should know at least the basics of like, get out of the way, <laughs> you know, or how to kick someone in the belly or something like that. 
martial arts are one of those things that, uh, you know, myself, I've been doing it for like 36 years. People are like, oh, it's decades of experience. You can learn the basics of some simple self-defense in a few months and get a lot out of that. So don't feel like it's got to be this lifelong commitment either. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Do, do, do. A lot, again, a lot of conversations. Cyril, uh, Cyril, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Apologies if not. Recently thought that since a lot of Olympic athletes from different sports have an awesome physique, there's no such thing as a perfect routine. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's we were talking about toxicity earlier. And a lot of that toxicity, again, from a fundamentalism approach, is you'd better get this just right. You better get your diet really correct and you better get your workout really right in order to be successful or else you're going to completely screw everything up. That message is very prevalent in our fitness culture and it's completely nonsense, you know, because there are people out there who are literally trying to science the hell out of their routine and they're like, okay, if the moon is in the fifth phase and Mercury's in retrograde with the you know, humidity dew point of 52%, I should do exactly 17.3 push-ups facing due east. You know, they're trying to get all these details correct. Meanwhile, there's a guy next to him in the park who's jacked and strong as hell. And they're like, what's your routine? I was like, I do push-ups until I can't get off the floor again. You know, how do you how many push-ups do you do? A lot. You don't count? No. When do you do them? Whenever I feel like, you know, kind of thing. It, it really isn't something we got to get just right. There's a few basic principles you need to understand. You know, don't do things that hurt, progression, that sort of thing. But beyond that, you know, this isn't nearly that complicated. We like to think it is because people will tell you it's that complicated. And by the way, you got to buy my program if you want to know what you're doing. No, you don't. Hey, Matt, what are your thoughts on one set per day every day? for every major muscle group. This is really funny that you're asking me this, Dan, because I'm just literally today starting on a project exactly on that. So we'll see where that goes because basically like I've got, I'm, you know, we were talking about frustration earlier. I'm getting to the point where I'm really frustrated with basically for, you know, in the convict conditioning, the, the big six, I'm very happy with what I've been able to accomplish with all of it, except for bridges and handstand work. I've always been horrible at them because largely a lack of back activation and poor scapular stability, probably from years of riding a bike and always being very kyphotic, poor posture, that sort of thing. And now it's finally gotten a lot better. And now the, the idea just popped into my head like yesterday. I was like, what if I did one set of handstand push-up C kind of thing and one set of bridges every day? Because it's the old adage of if you're not good at it, you're not comfortable at it, you don't practice it very much, so you don't get comfortable with it, so you don't practice it very much, and it's just a downward spiral. So I'm like, what if I did one set per day for a month, because one set you don't really need a, that much recovery from and everything, and I just did it however I wanted, but I practiced it every single day. I'm excited for where it could lead me. Maybe it won't do anything. Who knows? But uh, stay tuned to the channel because I'll be posting updates and also on the Instagram channel and stuff like that. But I think it's a fun thing to experiment with. But uh, beyond that, we'll see where it goes. And that's also kind of inspired by, um, you know, I was talking with some of my fellow calisthenics coaches the other day where uh, we were talking about how if we have a, like a, a nagging little weakness, like, oh, my left leg is weaker, my right leg is weaker or whatever, we'll say, well, all we do is if we're going to demonstrate an exercise, We'll demonstrate it on the weaker leg with a client or in class. 
And that's not a workout, right? Or just saying, oh yeah, do hover lunges like this and do like two reps, you know, with them. And then like later in the day, it's like, okay, do it like, and this, make sure your heel stays down one rep. Right. And we'll all notice that like, if we do that over the course of a couple of weeks, that weaker leg is a lot stronger just because it's a little bit we're doing here and there on a more frequent basis. And it's like, well, you know, if that can work, then surely an entire set once a day would be even more effective. Mariano, it's good to see you as always saying, hey, Matt, overrated demon, counting calories, underrated demon, live, liver health, be fit, live free. I'll second that for sure. The thing with counting calories is it's really, really hard to do with any degree of accuracy. That's usually why I'm not a big advocate for it. A lot of times counting stuff, counting steps, counting calories, you know, fitness trackers and stuff. I mean, I've got this thing tracking everything from here till you know, Tuesday. And honestly, I, I couldn't possibly care less. Like I turned off all the notifications, like you filled your exercise ring and stuff here on my Apple. I don't care. You know, I really don't. Uh, because ultimately what matters is do you have consistent habits? And if you want to make a change, what is the very noticeable change, AKA Delta that you create in those habits? And that's why usually I'll tell people, if you want to eat better, one is get your diet to just be more stable. Like I was saying earlier, then people are like, I'm frustrated. I'm not making progress. Where's your instability? Where's your inconsistency? Get your diet locked down so you're having a more consistent diet of what are you eating? When are you eating it? How much are you eating? To some degree. It doesn't have to be like, you know, every day I eat exactly the same thing. And then if you're like, maybe I should get more protein. Good. You know, instead of two eggs in the morning, have five. How many calories is that? I don't know. How many grams of protein? I don't know. Well, don't you care? Yeah, it's more. That's all it needs to be. You know, again, with my little experiment here, I'm doing a bridge every day and I'm doing handstand push-ups every day. One set. How many reps is that? I don't know. I don't care. How many time under tension? Don't know. Don't care. How much recovery? Don't know. Don't care. How much resistance? Don't know. Don't care. All I know is that's me working on those exercises a lot more and a lot more frequently than I did before. And that's all that I'm testing. If I do it more frequently, will it matter? I'm waging to bet it will. And that's all that is necessary is, am I creating that Delta? Yes. Good. That's all you need to really understand about that. Let's see what else. Oh, we, oh yeah. Crab Magra too. Monkey B saying, I think Crab Magra is geared towards regular pooper, people conditioning not needed. Yeah, some degree. I, I knew a buddy who did a Crab Magra test and he said that he was basically in sparring, which turned into kind of an all-out fight for like over an hour. I mean, you need conditioning for that too. And again, it really depends on the school and everything like that. Yeah, Crab Magra, that's a, that's a really good way. If I had to start my martial arts training all over again, I probably would go more for that because uh, that seems like it's a good mix of everything. You're going to get the grappling, you're going to get you know the self-defense, you're going to get kicking and stuff, a very simplified system. That, that would be good. I forgot about that. That's awesome. Because that's kind of part of it too. Martial art. Yes. How much of it do you want is the martial side? And how much do you want is the artistic side? Personally, I've never been in a fight in my life. So I've always kind of loved, you know, the artistic nature of martial arts, the Tai Chi's, the Kung Fu's and stuff. You can tell me all day long. It's like that exercise you're doing has no, you know, real relevance or practical application in a street fight. I'm like, I don't care. It looks really cool, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, so uh, it really kind of also boils down to, are you doing this more for self-defense or more for a fun, cool thing that you want to do and have an expression with 
your body. That, that's also another thing to consider for the martial arts that you're doing. Ivan saying, hey, Matt, I have not enough motivation to go to the gym, even near home. Any tips to make it easy? Um, well, one, don't go to the gym. <laughs> home workouts, dude. Go to a park. Something like that uh, can be a good option for you. Um, make your workouts shorter can be a good way to go about it. Uh, but if actually like just getting to the gym is really hard, I would, I would say don't go to the gym. Get some rings, set it up at home, get some adjustable dumbbells, you know, set up a little home gym, go to the park with a kettlebell or something. Uh, make it easy. Uh, gym's not for everybody. It's not necessary either in many cases. Oh, good, good point here I want to address. Monkey's saying one set per day means can only be done if not done with high intensity. Not true. And it's typically not enough uh, time for the muscles to rest. Again, not true. Remember, my friends, you don't need to recover from working out. You need to recover from stress and basically beating your body up. Okay? There are people out there who literally run a marathon every single day and they're fine, right? There are also people out there, if you asked them to climb a flight of stairs five times, they'd need to rest for several days. The amount of rest you need, it, it's not, again, a simple as, oh, everybody needs 48 hours of rest after a workout or anything like that. There's lots of variables on how much uh, an exercise can be stressful for different people and how much you recover and stuff. So yeah, I'm going to plan right now doing bridges and handstand pushups one set every single day. But if in three weeks and I'm noticing like, God, my shoulders are really not happy with me. Oh man, I feel like I'm getting more tired and more weaker. Sure. Yeah. I'll give myself time off, but I'm only going to give myself rest if I feel it's needed. But if it's not, go for it. You can do anything all day, every day. It's just about your conditioning level, how hard you're pushing yourself to fatigue, how hard the exercise is on your body, your personal alignment, sleep habits, dietary habits. There's a lot of different variables. So we don't want to get too caught up in you should be resting this much from any kind of exercise or you should only be exercising this much and so on. It's not, not quite working like that. It's more about is the amount of work you're putting into it you know, going to be enough to give you a stimulus you need? And in this case, yes. And is uh, the amount of time you're giving yourself enough time to rest from the amount of stress on it? Now, a single set is not that much for stress. It, it's, it's funny how we think that physical activity in a workout is different from physical activity in general. Like back in the day, I used to eat more food before a Taekwondo class because I was like, I'm going to Taekwondo. I got to eat up. I've got to have more calories. I got to prepare my body. I'm going to work out. And I would go to Taekwondo and spend half the time like getting a lecture from my instructor as we sit on the floor and basically do the equivalence of hardly any work at all. But that same summer, I'd be working nine-hour shifts at a uh, Volvo dealership, washing cars by hand and burning calories by the truckload. And I always wondered, why am I so tired? And it never occurred to me, you need to eat a lot more because you're literally being physically active to a higher level for nine hours a day. But it wasn't a workout, so I didn't think that counted for anything. So remember, the body doesn't know what exercise is. It just knows physical activity. And if your activity is relatively small or low, uh, no, you don't really need a whole heck of a lot from it. A lot of, uh, can, I love this. A lot of people talking about the one set a day kind of idea. Keep an, uh, an eye on the RDP channel. I'm glad there's a lot of 
interest in this sort of thing because uh, it seems to have struck a bit of a chord. So I'll be putting up videos on the Instagram channel, the YouTube channel and stuff like that on the progress and my experience and things like that. So uh, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting experiment. Follow along with me, you know, go ahead, do it. If you've got an exercise that is kind of a, a thorn in your side, like I just can't quite get pull-ups. I don't get it. You know, or pistol squats or whatever, join me, you know, have a set a day. Let's see what happens. Uh, let's uh, talk about it. Let's uh, compare notes and see what happens. Let's learn together, my friends. This is going to be a lot of fun. And lastly, he's saying high-intensity workout rest is needed. If someone just wants to do some low-intensity exercise, no need for major rest. So remember that intensity is always relative, too. You know, I used to do a bike race a day. That is super high-intensity. And it also depends on what we're talking about with intensity as well. You know, intensity technically on the scientific level when it comes to strength training is how much you're working towards your one rep max. So if I do a thousand push-ups, that's technically low intensity because that's intensity of effort, but my muscles aren't working all that hard on, you know, uh, each repetition because it's easy, easy resistance for me. So intensity is one of those words that's thrown around a whole lot but ultimately doesn't really mean anything <laughs> because it could mean very heavy weight. It could mean pushing ourselves till we're peeling ourselves off the ground. Uh, and you're right, the more tired and fatigued you are, the more rest you do need. But again, if you rest and recover faster, then you don't need as much time for it. Because remember, everything in fitness boils down to speed. Some people can be dead on their feet, super exhausted, crash into bed, eight hours later, ready to go, you know, 100%. And some people, they can be like, man, I kind of felt that. And three days later, they're like, God, I'm just still not really on my feet yet from this sort of thing. So it's not just rate of your expenditure in the exercise. It's also rate of recovery, rate of, of what you're doing. It's going to be an interesting experiment, folks. Follow along. Let's learn together. Let's see what happens from this. And one set, you know, I'm not really going super, super hard with things, but yeah, I'm not burning out that much. Cause like I was saying earlier, your body doesn't know what exercise is. It just knows physical activity. So, you know, if I'm working at the regular gym with, uh, you know, the clients and stuff, I'm going to put more energy and work at a higher intensity, just re-racking dumbbells a client has been using than I would during these sets. I'm not going to like climb up a few flights of stairs and be like, okay, now I need 48 hours of bed rest kind of thing. It's not going to be that hard. I'm not going to put that much effort into it. It's just one set kind of stuff. All right, folks, I've been talking way too long here. I do appreciate your patience and stuff like that. Thanks everybody so much. Remember likes, shares, podcast ratings. If you're listening to this on Apple and everything, greatly appreciated everybody coming on in. Much appreciated. Let's convene next week. Um, next week's episode, I'll probably just do an update on the one set a day thing. And uh, I'd love to hear if you're doing the same thing for yourself, uh, what your experience is. Like I said, let's learn together. This is an experiment. And I think we're all going to be better off at the end of the month from doing this sort of thing. Who knows? We might be onto something really cool here. I'll talk to you folks next time. Till then, be fit and live free.